Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and my co-host Ellen is more than a podcaster. She's an artist. I did go to school for art. I mean, you're amazing, so there's that. Aw. Yeah. I'm so embarrassed. You should be. Let's just keep rolling. (laughs) Into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup, and the corresponding film scenes. (laughs) The movie and book just couldn't agree on where the top box was. The Vila kept all the men on their toes while the leprechauns had the crowd reaching for the sky. The Irish team's fireworks fizzled out when faced with Bulgaria's banner budget, finding that they just couldn't crumpare. But that didn't stop them from sweeping up the wind despite not getting the snitch. And while the World Cup in the book was a roller coaster ride from start to finish, the movie was more like finding out the ride is broken once you're in your seat. Facts. During episode 70, Bolsusian, trademark, (laughs) our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on how the movie left out the entire actual Quidditch match? Quincy's got a bit of a rant for us. What? He said he is asked time and time again for us not to get him started, and we just don't listen. So, here we go. Newell is a fuck nugget. (laughs) The Quidditch match could have been the second most, if not most, eventful part of the movie. It could have been one of the most rewatched movie scenes of all time, but we get deprived of that. Did you know he wanted to make the movie a comedy? You know what's laughable? His fucking directing skills on the movie. Should have gotten Michael Bay, at least we would have seen something blow up. Like, come on! And how much of this was Rowling okay with? Because I'm giving her the side eye as well. Of all the things she wants to be a Karen about, her own fucking source material wasn't one of them? Like, come the fuck on! What did we do to deserve this cinematic slap to the face? He could have at least lubed up before fucking us all in the ass. (laughs) (laughs) We got him started. We really did. (laughs) Man, that was was a rant even by my standards. Yeah. Sarah said as a non-sports ball person, she shouldn't have really cared about missing out on the Quidditch match in the movie, but it really pissed her off. Not only were we left in the dark about Crumb's celebrity status, but the Vilas weren't introduced at all. Moviegoers were left in the dark as to why every single male student was falling all over Fleur and her classmates. It just turned into this stupid, ooh, silly teenage boy sexualizing everything trope instead of a magical explanation. Facts. Additionally, she thinks the whole part about Ron trying to pay for things slash pay Harry back with the leprechaun money was a huge part of Ron's character. Instead of being the dumb sidekick yet again, Ron actually had a chance to have some substance there. Amen. Mike said, as a book fan more than a movie fan for this series, he will always advocate for more detail being included in the movies, regardless of the scene. But this is definitely a scene that would have really benefited from more detail, even more than most. He agrees with all the stuff Sarah said. Plus, the Quidditch from the first two movies was already great, and that was amateur-level Quidditch. Some of the major-league-level Quidditch would have been amazing. Yeah, it really would have been. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Max said entire is about two to three pages of match time. Harry was watching in slow motion for most of that like a grandma with an iPhone, and a good chunk was a vampire bird American Horror Story episode. Leave it out and give him Winky instead. Now, it was actually more like 10 pages, but I can understand the sentiment. Carly said it upsets her how they leave so much Quidditch out. She thinks this would have been so fun to see since we don't get to see any Quidditch in this movie. So, very disappointed. She wishes that there was more we could see. Dave said that assuming that the majority of movie watchers would be non-sports ball people, he thinks it would be very hard to portray professional level skills versus high school level skill. And even if an 18-year-old in the real world is good enough to go pro, they are never better than the adult seasoned players of a sport. We saw Seekers dive and pull up at the last second on Hogwarts matches. If they showed Crumb doing that, it would be hard to do it in a way that the viewers would say, oh wow, he dove and pulled out way better than Harry did. But thus far in the series, Harry hasn't had any chance to work on his pullout skills. Cho Chang! Wow. <laughs> that happened. Wow. So that was a thing. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. I can't promise that if you type something dirty, we will read it word for word. But chances are we will. Odds are, yeah. If nothing else, Ellen will just give it to me to say. Because I have no shame. So none, there's that. None whatsoever. <laughs> really none. <laughs> Juliana says she wishes we could have seen this match. It would have made Crumb more important later in this year. Moviegoers got the sense that Crumb was special, but we never really understood why Ron was fangirling so hard over him. And he really was, too. Mm -hmm. He's an artist. I think you're in love, Ron. <laughs> Jackson said, hated it, hated it, hated it. The whole time he waited for Goblet of Fire to come out in cinemas, the World Cup was something he really looked forward to watching. Even if they'd streamlined or shortened it, he would have preferred that to not seeing it at all. Robert said the only reason he doesn't have a problem that it's not in the movie is because, yes, it would have been entertaining to watch, but it's not too plot-driven because we don't get the Weasleys, Harry, and Hermione in the top box where Winky is saving a seat for Crouch. And therefore, Harry doesn't lose his wand. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they should have done it that way. Because that is kind of plot driven. But that part of it is, I think it all goes together. Yeah. What I love about everyone's responses is nobody held back. Yes. At least not Quincy. Yeah. <laughs> well, have we ever known Quincy to hold back? Really? No. That's why we love him. Mm-hmm. Quincy, Quincy, Quincy. He loves when we say his name. Quincy, Quincy, Quincy. Moving on. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of your responses. As usual, they were amazing. <laughs> Our trivia question was, what does the dishwasher at the Leaky Cauldron claim his job is in front of the villa? As Harry, Ron, and Hermione come upon the villa, they hear a wizard yelling that he pulls down about a hundred sacks of galleons a year as a dragon killer for the Committee for the Disposal of Dangerous Creatures. And his friend yells, no, you're not. You're a dishwasher at the Leaky Cauldron. I love it. <laughs> Not quite dive out of the top box impressive, but mm -hmm. fantastic nonetheless. I could see that being something we would say to each other. <laughs> Honestly. Yes. <laughs> but what's also impressive is that Mike Riley won again. Well done. Yeah. This is week six of his streak. So he's getting closer and closer to Quincy and Max's record at eight weeks. Will they let him catch it? Will they let him beat it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Quincy. Max, will you let him beat it? I mean, have you seen Mike? Probably. Well, hey. <laughs> Quincy says, if he asks nicely. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love having our patrons in Discord. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah. Just as a reminder, we do mute when we get to the trivia question. They do not get a preview of that. Yeah. Just the shenanigans that goes on behind the scenes. And there are lots of shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> But Dave is certainly trying to stop Mike. Mm -hmm. He was actually only a minute behind in answering the question himself. He said it's the same reason he could never beat Max and that he needs to upgrade his phone to gamma ray tracking 5G or something. Axio episode post. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is pretty confident that he'll get the streak, though. He said once he gets it, he'll let Dave in on his secret. The competition is fierce. It is. I love it. Hmm. So exciting. Can't wait to see what happens this week. Yep. But for now, let's just keep rolling into the first half of Chapter 9, The Dark Mark, and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 9, The Dark Mark, Part 1. As the Weasleys, Harry, and Hermione make their way back down the purple carpeted stairs after the Quidditch match, Mr. Weasley tells the twins not to let their mother know they've been gambling. They insist that they won't, since they have big plans for the money and don't want it confiscated. They all get swept up in the crowds flooding out of the stadium and continue to head back to their campsite amidst raucous singing. They make it back to their tents, and Mr. Weasley agrees that they can all have one last cup of cocoa before going to bed. They argue enjoyably about the match until Ginny falls asleep at the table and spills her cocoa. Mr. Weasley insists that everyone heads to bed, and as they all change and clamber into their bunks, he mutters that he's glad he's not on duty since the Irish are still celebrating. Harry falls asleep thinking about the match and imagining his own name being announced by Bagman. Suddenly, Mr. Weasley starts shouting for everyone to get up and Harry can hear that something is wrong. Instead of singing and celebrating, people are screaming and running. Only allowing time for the kids to grab a jacket, Mr. Weasley ushers them all out of the tent where they see people running towards the woods and a crowd of tightly packed wizards pointing their wands straight up as they march across the field. Harry squints and sees that they are all wearing masks and contorting four struggling figures up in the air as they also blast tents out of the way and set them on fire. As they pass over a burning tent, Harry can see that one of the floating people is the campsite manager, Mr. Roberts, and the rest must be his wife and children, being flipped upside down and spun around as the wizards below laugh. Hermione and Ginny come running up to Harry, Ron, Fred, and George as Bill, Charlie, and Percy emerge from the tent fully dressed and run off to go help the ministry. Mr. Weasley tells the kids to get into the woods and stick together before tearing after his eldest sons. Fred grabs Ginny's hand and pulls her towards the woods, the rest following the now unlit path full of panicked people. In all the chaos, Harry hears Ron yell in pain and Hermione stops to find out what happened. She lights her wand and finds Ron on the ground, having tripped over a tree root. As he explains that, a drawing voice tells him that it'd be hard not to, with feet that size, and the trio turn to see Draco Malfoy relaxing against a tree. Ron makes a rude comment to him and Draco responds by telling them that they better hurry along so they don't spot her as he nods towards Hermione and calls her a mudblood. Ron yells at him to watch his mouth and Hermione restrains him and tells him not to bother. Several people scream at a loud bang and Draco laughs at their fear before commenting that their daddy must have told them to hide. Harry angrily asks him if his parents are out there wearing masks and Draco tells him that he wouldn't tell Harry even if they were. Hermione insists that they leave it to go find the others, 
And when Ron says he bets Malfoy's dad is one of the masked wizards out there, she says he hopes the Ministry catches him. They can't find Fred, George, and Ginny anywhere, but do come across some students from another wizarding school, Bobatons. As Ron also pulls out his wand and lights it, Harry reaches into his pocket for his own wand and realizes that it's missing. He feels very vulnerable not knowing if it is in the tent or if it fell out of his pocket while he was running. They are distracted by a rustling sound and look to see Winky the house elf moving as if someone is holding her back, squeaking about bad wizards. Ron wonders why she can't run properly, and Harry says he bets it's because she didn't ask permission to hide. This makes Hermione very angry, and she likens house elf treatment to slavery. Ron tries to argue with her a bit, but with another loud bang, they decide it's best to keep moving, looking for Fred, George, and Ginny. They pass some goblins cackling over gold and then come upon three beautiful Vila, surrounded by a gaggle of young wizards, all bragging about the different impressive things they have done. Harry recognizes the conductor of the night bus, Stan Shunpike, as he claims to be about to become the youngest ever Minister of Magic. He turns to tell Ron, whose face has gone slack as he yells that he invented a broomstick that will reach Jupiter. Hermione pulls both boys away and they find a quiet part of the woods where they decide it's best to wait. As Harry is saying they'll hear anyone a mile off, Ludo Bagman emerges from behind a tree and is completely clueless as to what's going on. Ron explains, and swearing loudly, Bagman disapparates with a pop. The trio waits and listens, discussing how Bagman doesn't seem to be on top of things, and the riot itself, which seems to have quieted down. Hermione breaks off mid-sentence and looks around. They hear the sound of footsteps, and Harry calls out, Hello? The movie scene picks back up in the Weasley's tent after the Quidditch match. Mr. Weasley lights a lantern from the wood-burning furnace as Fred and George attempt an Irish jig and pretend to play their Irish flags as flutes in celebration of Ireland's win. Mr. Weasley hears a small explosion and looks off towards the sound before blowing out the kindling and going to investigate. As the celebration continues, Ron begins to pronounce his admiration for Crumb, prompting his siblings to tease him. He says there's no one like Crumb, that he's like a bird, and Fred and George start flapping around him as he goes on to say that he's more than an athlete. He's an artist. Ginny tells Ron that she thinks he's in love, and the twins start serenading him with, Victor, I love you. Victor, I do. And Harry joins in as they sing, When we're apart, my heart beats only for you. Everyone is laughing, and they hear a few more explosions. One of the twins comments that it sounds like the Irish have got their pride on, they continue the playful camaraderie, and Mr. Weasley comes back in the tent yelling for them to stop it, because it isn't the Irish. He tells them that they have to get out of there now, and once outside the tent, they hear more explosions and see smoke and fire off in the distance. As people are screaming and running around in a panic, Mr. Weasley advises his kids and Harry and Hermione to get back to the port key. He tells the twins that Ginny is their responsibility and that they must stick together, before he heads off towards the mayhem with his wand at the ready. In all the chaos, Harry gets separated from the Weasleys and Hermione as masked and hooded people approach the scene, carrying torches, shooting fire from wands, and chanting. Harry runs to catch up with his friends, weaving through panicked people and getting shoved along until he manages to find a semi-open path. Darting between some tents, he trips and falls to the ground, where another fleeing person accidentally kicks him, rendering him unconscious. People continue to step around him as they try to escape, until the scene transitions to a dark and quiet sight depicting the smoking shells of burnt tents. So for this section, 
there are quite a few similarities overall, mm -hmm. but as usual, there's also some change details and quite a bit of streamlining that leaves out even more. Yeah. The entire fucking movie is streamlined. Newell! <laughs> In the book, as the group makes their way back down the stairs, Mr. Weasley begs the twins not to tell Mrs. Weasley that they've been gambling. Don't tell your mother, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Fred tells them that they have big plans for the money and don't want it confiscated, and Mr. Weasley stops himself from asking what those plans might be. Probably a good call. You know, ignorance is bliss and whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say so. Plausible deniability. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Leprechauns keep shooting overhead, and the crowd sings loudly as they make their way to the tents. Nobody's ready for bed yet, so they sit around drinking hot chocolate and arguing amiably about the match. Well, I mean, to be fair, some of them were probably expecting the match to last five days, so God knows what kind of uppers those wizards are on. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were just Irish. Well, same thing. Being Irish is my drug, so there's that. Harry Potter is my drug. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, the movie doesn't bother showing the walk back to the match that they didn't bother showing. Yeah. So, the scene just picks up back in the Weasley's tent, implying that the match is over. It shows Mr. Weasley lighting a lantern from the wood-burning furnace. Which completely goes against how book Mr. Weasley expected them to camp like muggles. I mean, maybe he thinks that is how muggles camp. But in the book, he knew exactly what they were supposed to do for camping. He knew they used fires. Yeah. He knew that tents didn't have wood-burning furnaces. That is true. Book Mr. Weasley definitely had it more together. Except for when it came to money. Well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Numbers kind of fucked him up, but otherwise he was good. <laughs> Fred and George were doing sort of an Irish jig as they pretend to play their Irish flags like flutes in celebration of Ireland's win. Which was fun. If not, kind of stereotypical, if yeah. I'm being honest. But if you can't do a jig and play a flag like a flute at the Quidditch World Cup, when can you? I feel like they should have been named the O'Weasleys. <laughs> The McWeasleys? The McWeasleys. <laughs> <laughs> they got the red hair. They're clearly Irish supporters. True. They should have been like officially Irish. Yeah. Just really drive it in there with some stereotypes. <laughs> but in the book, when everyone finally makes their way to their respective tents and bunks, Mr. Weasley remarks that he's happy he isn't on watch and doesn't have to tell the Irish to stop celebrating. The sounds of singing and echoing bangs are still carrying on outside their tent. Nobody wants to stop the Irish party. <laughs> no. Nobody does. Trust me. At least not the Irish. No. <laughs> the closest the movie gets to that comment is by having Mr. Weasley hear a small explosion that he goes to investigate while the kids continue on celebrating. So they don't go to bed like in the book. Which is definitely a difference because in the book, Harry is actually in his bunk staring up at the ceiling and just replaying Crumb's expert flying in his head as he longs to be on his firebolt so he can try out some of those moves himself. Really wants that wood between his legs, uh, huh? Apparently. <laughs> I think he more wants to be a professional Quidditch player well, at this point. Well, there's that too, Because yes. he's imagining himself being cheered on by a crowd of 100,000 witches and wizards and having his name announced by Bagman and, I give you Potter! <sighs> <laughs> exactly. <gasps> Harry, Harry, Harry. <laughs> you know he totally does totally. that. Potter, yeah. Potter. <laughs> I'll get like the nickname Lightning. 
Harry Lightning Potter because of the scar, but also because he's so fast. The boy who flew. Oh, bam. <laughs> In the movie, it's Ron who has a total sports ball boner for Crumb, prompting his siblings to rightfully tease him because he's kind of like a spaz about it. Well, there's no one like Crumb. He's more than an athlete. He's an artist. And a bird. Don't forget, because the twins start flapping around him. And damn, that Weasley twin must be double-jointed, because his arms go so far back when he flaps. I'm not sure which one it is, though. Remember? Say it with confidence. It, it was, was definitely, definitely Fred. George. Okay. It, it was, was definitely, definitely George. George! Oh, never mind. It was one of the twins. <laughs> it was one of them. Okay? The one who was covered in face paint. Yes, that one. <laughs> Ginny says, I think you're in love, Ron. And the twins start serenading him with, Vic, did I love you? Vic, did I do? When we're apart, my heart beats only for you. That's just fun to say. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it just is. Everyone is laughing and they hear some more explosions. And it's great how they hear the destruction and just assume it's the Irish partying, like we mentioned before. It's just, oh, they got their pride on. Except it isn't the Irish. Right. Because Mr. Weasley comes rushing back into the tent, putting an end to the shenanigans, because it isn't the Irish. He hurries them out of the tent, where they get to witness more explosions and see smoke and fire off in the distance. But they're still not convinced it's not the Irish. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little similar to how the book had it, though the setup is different since they had all gone to bed. Mm -hmm. Harry actually eventually falls asleep, and the next thing he knows, Mr. Weasley is shouting for everyone to wake up. He can hear the sounds of screaming and people running outside the tent. Similar. Similar, yeah. It's pretty close. Harry grabs his jacket, and he and Ron rush outside where they can see people fleeing to the woods and something moving closer to them making odd flashes of light and sounds like gunfire, then a bright green light over the scene. The movie, of course, extremely streamlines how this scene happened. I mean, I'm shocked. I don't know about you. But the gist is there. People are completely freaking out, and Mr. Weasley advises his kids and Harry and Hermione to get back to the portkey. Which is not how it happened in the book. Not at all. Harry squints and can see that it's a group of wizards jeering and laughing, all of them wearing hoods and masks and pointing their wands up. Harry then sees four figures being floated and twisted above the group, two of which are very small. He recognizes them as the muggle campsite manager, Mr. Roberts, and who he assumes are his wife and children. Which is so fucked up. It really is. It's very upsetting. I'm freaked out about it. I'm upset. Yes. Because it's upsetting. Though not as upset as the Roberts is. Oh. Get it? Get it? Because they're upset? Oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> As the movie didn't have a campsite manager, Mr. Roberts and his family were not present in the movie to be horribly tortured. So kind of yay. Because who cares about book details? Yeah. That's Newell. Dumb. No, wait, Newell, Newell doesn't care. <laughs> Newell just cared a lot about Mr. Roberts. So he was like, I'll just keep him out. And that sure. way he won't get hurt. Sure. That's what that was. That's exactly what it was. He's protecting Mr. Roberts. Yeah, entirely. At this time, we just see the panic and the fire, which that's quite enough i mean that's the gist yeah in the book mr weasley bill charlie and percy all have their wands out and mr weasley shouts that they're going to help the ministry wizards unlike in the movie he tells the rest of them to get to the woods and stay together not to get to the port key well also bill charlie and percy aren't there <laughs> in the movie 
So there's that. There is that. The movie does have Mr. Weasley tell them to stick together before he heads off towards the mayhem with his wand at the ready. But it's basically like, you go this way, you go that way. Harry, just stay where you are. He does just sort of stand there for a second while everyone else runs, doesn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. He finally starts running himself when the Death Eaters show up. Right? Like, holy shit, run kids, it's the clan! (laughs) (laughs) Though, like we already mentioned, they aren't levitating muggles, they're chanting something, but you can't really understand them. Because, you know, nothing gets your message across quite like mayhem and unintelligible chanting. Clearly. Mm -hmm. In the book, Fred, George, Ginny, Ron, Harry, and Hermione run to the woods and look back to see the Ministry Wizards trying with great difficulty to get through the growing crowd of hooded wizards beneath the Roberts family. The lanterns that had lit the path are all extinguished, and in the dark, figures are running through the woods, children are crying, and the sounds of panicked shouting resounds in the air. That sentiment was definitely captured in the film. Oh yeah. Harry tries to catch up with his friends while weaving through the chaos until he manages to find a more open path. Of course, he then immediately trips and falls to the ground. Total dramatic trope there. (laughs) Oh no! I fell! I've fallen over! I'm running away! I must fall! (laughs) (laughs) I'm in danger, muskrunch face! (laughs) In the book, Harry's being pushed in different directions, but it's actually Ron who trips and falls. And then Hermione lights her wand, and they see Draco Malfoy standing nearby looking very calm as he makes fun of Ron for the size of his feet. I mean, you know what they say about big feet, though, right? Big wand? No, big shoes. (laughs) Get your mind out of the gutter, damn. Do you want to be the pot or the kettle? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, hell, I'm both on most good days. (laughs) Ron makes a nasty comment to Draco who tells them that they should be hurrying along and they don't want Hermione to be spotted, saying they're going after muggles. Harry reminds Nazi von Douchebag II that Hermione is a witch, and he responds by calling her a mudblood. Ron tries to go after him, but Hermione stops him. Yeah, because in this one, she has some sense, unlike last time when she just slapped the fuck out of him. To be fair, being a Hermione myself, it is far more likely that I'm going to slap you because you fucked with one of my friends than I'm going to slap you because you were making fun of me personally. True. So. I'll give you that. There's an even louder bang that sounds closer and several people in the woods nearby scream, which makes Draco chuckle and say they scare easily. Commenting that Mr. Weasley probably told them all to run and hide and wondering if he was trying to help the muggles. He's going to talk about who scares easily, considering what happened when he was 11 and he ran like a bitch through the Forbidden Forest. Nobody said that Draco wasn't a hypocrite. (laughs) A hypocrite? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's what attacked him. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Harry asks Malfoy where his parents are and says they're probably in the crowd wearing masks. Draco smirks and says he wouldn't tell them if they were, and with a disgusted look at Malfoy, Hermione says they should go and find the others. Because nothing says innocence. Like, I wouldn't tell you even if they were. Like, sure, that's believable. That's basically a confession right there. Right, exactly. He's good as said. Yup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised he didn't take that opportunity to make a dead parents joke to Harry, though. It would have been a good insult timing. However, we do know that Draco's not the best at that. That is true. That's very valid. Ron says he would bet anything that Draco's dad is one of the masked wizards, and Hermione says that with any luck, the Ministry will catch him. 
And then she wonders where the others have gone and gets them back on track. Because that's what Hermione does. Just like you. <laughs> I try. Tangents? I don't do tangents. What? 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 Moving on. That's not how it happened in the movie, though. No von douchebags in this scene. Well, I mean, they're probably out there chanting, but they don't even imply that in the movie. No, it's Harry who was on the ground, and thank goodness he got kicked in the head by the last person to run that way, so he didn't get trampled as well. The last few people just politely step around him as they try to escape, and then the scene transitions to the end of the riot with a dark, quiet, and predominantly burnt-down campsite. And that's where we end this section of the movie scene. The first half of the book chapter goes on just a bit more. Shockingly. Harry does not get knocked out or separated from his friends. However, the trio do get separated from Fred, George, and Ginny. So it's kind of similar. Yeah, a little bit. As they make their way along the path, a girl from a huddle of teenagers turns to them and starts speaking in French very quickly. And when Ron makes it clear that he has no idea what she's saying, the girl says, oh, Hogwarts. Hermione mutters Bobatons, which confuses Harry, and she explains that Bobatons is another school of magic. What? There are other magic schools? I wonder if that's going to come in later. Could that be relevant? <gasps> They've mentioned it a couple times now. They have. Ron says the others can't have gotten far and lights his wand like Hermione's. And when Harry reaches into his jacket for his wand, he only finds his omnioculars. Which if they went with the ones that are in the movie, that'd be pretty hard to miss. Right. <laughs> huge like tumor on his side. <laughs> like how would that even fit in his pocket? I don't think it would have. Oh, awkward. <laughs> but he says he lost his wand and Ron and Hermione raise their wands to illuminate a larger area and they don't see it anywhere. This makes him feel very vulnerable being in a situation like this without his wand. I can see that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I can totally see that. I feel like a wand would be kind of like our cell phones. I was just going to say, Could you yeah. imagine like being in a situation like that and not having your cell phone? I get panicked just thinking about that, if I'm honest. Anyway, I know you're going to be surprised by this, Helen, but the movie didn't bother to have Harry lose his wand. What? I know. It's crazy, right? It's almost like they leave stuff out of the movies that was in the books. Almost. What? I get that it wasn't that important of a detail to have him lose his wand. But it was still interesting and set something up for the future. Yeah. Frustrating. Mm-hmm. Very much. A rustling noise from behind them makes them jump, and Winky climbs out from some nearby bushes. She seems to be walking with difficulty as she says there's bad wizards near, with people high in the air so she's getting out of the way. When Winky disappears into the trees on the other side of the path, Ron wonders why she couldn't run properly. Harry said she probably didn't ask permission to hide and that Dobby had to hurt himself whenever he did something that the Malfoys wouldn't like. But, you know, house elves enjoy servitude. Oh, yeah. Obviously. Clearly. <laughs> it's not an abuse of power or anything on the wizard's part. Well, Hermione thinks it is because she gets very heated about the mistreatment and misuse of house elves, saying that it's basically slavery and wonders why nobody does anything about it. Well, because everybody's used to it. Ron even flat out says that that's what the house elves like, to be bossed around. Which, I mean, if that's all you've ever known, I can see how that would make sense. But anyone looking at it logically just goes, yeah, no. no. Not that's at just all. Stockholm Syndrome, like you were saying last time. <laughs> exactly. And Hermione immediately begins admonishing him for that attitude. Yeah. But she's interrupted by another loud bang, and Ron says that they should keep moving. 
And Harry wonders if Malfoy was right that Hermione was in more danger than him or Ron. Though honestly, considering how much the Death Eaters probably hate Harry, is Hermione really in more danger than him? I mean, they still see him as better than Hermione, though. Like, Voldemort's technically not back yet, so they don't entirely see Harry as a threat to Voldemort. But he already was the threat to Voldemort. But at that time, it was in the past. We should make that our Potter pondering. Yeah, let's get everyone else's opinion on that. Mm-hmm. So they set off again, and Harry continues to search his pockets for the wand that he knows isn't there. <laughs> well, everybody does that. I know. We're, you know, with phones, we were talking about yeah, that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Harry, Ron, and Hermione go deeper into the woods, passing goblins cackling over a sack of money, and Vila surrounded by men trying to impress them. The dishwasher at the Leaky Cauldron claims to be a dragon killer. Which was our trivia question. Yep, and his friend totally calls him out, but then claims to be a vampire hunter. <laughs> Stan Shunpike is there as well, and he claims that he's about to become the youngest ever Minister of Magic. I mean, it's not that he's not as smart as Fudge, so I can kind of see him doing the job. It's just that I wouldn't buy that anyway. No. No. <laughs> Couldn't do much worse of a job, right, though? Probably not. <laughs> but Harry thinks this is hilarious and he's about to tell Ron what Stan actually does and then notices that Ron is too busy claiming that he invented a broomstick that will reach Jupiter. <laughs> I mean, come on, Ron. It's just so outlandish. But I love that that's the power the Vila has over, right? over people. I think it's funny that in that moment, Harry was kind of unaffected. Yeah. He was distracted, though. Maybe. I don't know. But Hermione pulls Ron away when he joins in their course, and they continue to walk until they seem to be all alone. Ludo Bagman appears in front of them from behind a tree, looking very unlike himself because he's pale and strained. He's normally very happy-go-lucky. Mm -hmm. When Bagman asks what they're doing out there all alone, Ron tells him that there's a riot going on at the campsite and a group of people have gotten a hold of a muggle family. Bagman swears loudly and disapparates with a small popping sound. I was totally thinking about James Corden in this role. Like, he could have done this so well. Yeah, it would have been fun to see. And it does kind of set something up for the future again, but it's not important to the main plot. So I get leaving it out. It's just disappointing. Yeah. But he really doesn't seem to be on top of things, does he? Not so much. I mean, for being the head of a department, he kind of sucks. He's more like the ass. <laughs> He's the ass of the department. <laughs> The trio talk about how Bagman doesn't seem to be on top of things and... Is an ass. Yeah, the ass of the department. <laughs> <laughs> and they also talk about the Muggle family. Ron reassures Hermione that they're going to sort it all out. And Hermione says it was mad to do something like this when there are ministry officials everywhere. But then she stops talking and looks behind her when she hears something. And Harry calls out, hello? And this is where we end the first half of the book chapter. Not quite the same as where the movie ended, but similar-ish, I guess. Kinda. Similar-ish. Similar adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Harry was totally mentally calling out hello as he was lying unconscious on the ground. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you know. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you started it. But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering, which is, do you think that Hermione ultimately was in more danger than Harry? 
find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. And here we are at our sorting hat story, which is from Brianna Rebus. She is in Ravenclaw. Her wand is 12 and 3 quarter inches, rowan wood with a unicorn tail core. Her patronus is a raven. And she writes, I started reading Harry Potter in third grade. My brother had just passed away and I turned to books, fantasy specifically, as a distraction. I devoured them. At that time, only the first three had been published. I read them over and over. Four came out and I read the whole thing in one night. Five came out when I was in fifth grade. By this time, we had moved to a new state and I was a bit of an outcast. I would take the books out to recess with me and read. I got five the day it came out and read it just as fast. I stayed up all night. As each one came out, I was growing up with them. They were an escape from my reality that I often didn't want to be a part of, and they helped me get through a pretty rough time. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story, Brianna. We totally can relate to using the stories as an escape. Definitely. They are so wonderful for that. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much again. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. And that'll bring us to dun 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 this week's trivia question. In what book did Hermione read about the dark mark? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag I read about it will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. And don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale, like the new Kiss the Crook Dementor aprons that I designed. <laughs> I love those. I'm also going to be turning those into stickers. Yay! Stickers. I love stickers. <laughs> we all love stickers. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like Just Keep Rolling swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And speaking of patrons, we also want to wish our patron, Mike Riley, a very happy birthday because his birthday was this Tuesday. Yeah, we almost missed it because he didn't tell us anything about it. Thanks to Facebook, we figured it out. Right. I don't get it at all. I literally start telling people about my birthday like a year in advance. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to prepare for the pomp and circumstance, don't you? Sure do. <laughs> it's almost my birth month. <laughs> Hey guys, 11 months till my birthday. This is my birth year. <laughs> but anyway, happy birthday, Mike. Yeah, happy birthday, Mike. We love you. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 9, The Dark Mark, and the corresponding film scenes. Ish. 
Ish. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.